everybody. Welcome to another episode of Flail Forward. I am joined today by uh, Karis Nauer. Hi. Catrice. <laughs> I'm here. Jonathan. Hello, folks. Cavoir. Hello. Mark. Hello. And I will be your host today, Rob. Uh, my name is Rob. That's my name. Fred's Rob not here. here. Rob is my name. Fred's not here. He's sleeping, allegedly. Uh, but uh, he'll hear this later and have to edit it. So fuck him. All right. So <laughs> our topic today is uh, our topic today is going to be binding, particularly. Uh, well, at least a generic versus here. bound game. How how tightly uh, a system and a setting uh, have to be married together for uh, a system where you uh, uh, a game where you are laying the system on top of a, an existing setting. Um, how the setting informs the system you're writing, and how uh, generic, universal, and bound systems differ and what their advantages and disadvantages are. That's going to be our topic. And uh, I'm just going to jump right in and um, just start talking about the relationship between system and setting in general. Um, I see them as sort of like a two like pools of water that sort of maybe like fresh and salt water. And then there's like a marshy area where they sort of blend together. And, but there's like two distinct concepts and then sort of maybe like a third amalgamated concept. What do you guys think about that? I, I agree with that. The system and setting are independent components of the game as a whole that um, interface in what you call the marshland. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to, that's that's the new term, the marshland. <laughs> I feel like uh, how the most interesting, uh, the most important part of where you're writing is how they interface. Even if you aren't the one who ends up writing the bit that's interfacing with it. By that I mean like the GM. If you put the setting on the GM, they still have to figure out how to interface it with your game. And a lot of what's going to really determine how the game flows is how they end up interfacing. Okay. Yeah, that's that's yeah, a good point. Yeah. To to build on what uh, Cap says, I, I I totally agree. The, the one um, informs the other, uh, even when it's just a uh, system. And I suppose 100% setting is a different thing that doesn't really exist uh, as you know game design necessarily. Setting is when you is when you read a novel and you really really want to and you really really want to try to figure out how to put a setting to it. I suppose so. It's the the first step of game design, maybe. I don't know, but but yeah, they they inform each other. I think that's uh, very true. Yeah, even in the generic, the, the two parts are the two parts are symbiotic. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree, and I think it's it's because it informs so much about the tone of your game. Once you have a setting or an idea of how you want settings to be created within your game, it it really um, defines the scope of what your characters and players are doing. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, in in sort of a uh, in in a game where, let's say the the rules and the setting are tightly bound together, right? So the rules exist as an expression of the setting first, meaning they're not portable to other settings without quite a bit of work. Uh, I would, as an example of that, I would probably throw in most of the powered by game. any. Uh no, I I'm gonna. I'll explain why I disagree with that in a second. Um, but the 
I would say most of the Powered by the Apocalypse games fall into that category where like, and I've used this example before, but like the moves and mechanics from Monster Hearts wouldn't translate to Dungeon World and vice versa without a lot of heavy lifting by somebody doing a conversion. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it's- similarly, like a, a Dungeons and Dragons wouldn't doesn't work that well for high tech settings or um, futuristic settings, or I would even say modern settings. But that that's I guess that's a matter of opinion. But I thought D twenty modern was dog shit. Or like no, dramatic it's not, settings. But- <laughs> So I kind of feel the need to just run in and wreck everything on you. Go for it. (laughs) So one thing that you're kind of that almost everybody had mentioned is that the system kind of is bound to the setting, but I would actually say that the setting defines what the system can be because Every time that you add something, the system is basically a description of a concept, and the setting is the concept. If you don't have one, you don't have the other. They have to exist side by side. Like, if you set in a rule that says there's fall damage, that is part of the setting now. It's not just part of the system, even though you just wrote it as a rule. It defines what the setting itself is, whereas same thing if you say that it's common for characters to, you know, fight monsters, then you kind of need to put rules in the system that make it possible to fight monsters. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it's not really part of the game. Like you can't have a magical setting without any magic. Like as soon as you put in one automatically exists in the other even if it's in an unrefined state yeah the system and setting are not only symbiotic but they're they're yin and yang they influence each other they shape each other so then how would you define the setting for games that have a universal um setting then because oh yeah before we get to universal settings i want to i want to actually plant a flag and define the difference between generic and universal because <clears throat> I, we're going to be using both terms. And I think I'm a, still a little bit confused about what a generic versus universal game is. And if anybody could like jump in and give like a succinct definition, I think that would be really useful. I can because I, I wrote okay, it in ahead, the Brad. description. Oh, go for it. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, I'll start from the bottom up, mm-hmm. um, mostly because. The, the framing term we're using for this is pretty unknown, bound. Um, a bound game is one that the system and setting were designed for each other to serve each other. Okay. Okay. So, like Shadowrun. I, like Shadowrun. I will disagree like, with that, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. We can argue that Shadowrun intended. Let Car finish it. Was <laughs> yes, Shadowrun. Um, any Star Wars game, any Lord of the Rings game, any game that is based on intellectual property is by definition bound. Then we move up to generic, and this is where this is where we start broadening out. 
a generic game is one that can handle um, any number of somewhat similar setting, settings within a certain genre. So like D&D is generic. Um, uh, Alternity was generic. Um, like Starfinder's generic. D20 Modern. Okay, I see where you're yeah. going with us. Mm-hmm. Literally all so, Powered by the Apocalypse games are generic because, well, not all of them, pretty much a lot, but a lot of them are. <laughs> um, that's the, the mechanics point. are, yeah, I would, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, no, as I in mean, they can handle, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, not... your Urban Shadows game is going to have a different saying than my Urban Shadows Yes, yeah. 100% of the but, time. Yeah. But they're still, they still fall within the same genre, and they're they're similar enough that they still function with a single set of rules. Okay. And then the broadest tier is universal where the game is designed with the intent of handling any setting in many or all genres. So universal games like GURPS and champions and would you consider fate generic or universal? In in that Probably. definition. I think fate would be um maybe we should explain why we're having it depends trouble. how much it depends how much setting stuff is actually in fate. Like how yep. much hint does it give of its own genre? Nothing. Well, I mean, <clears throat> well, I, let me, let me, let me push back on yeah. that. Uh, I would consider fate a generic pulp fiction RPG. Meaning that that's I, because if you're going to, I mean, it's possible to run hard sci-fi in fate. It's just going to look weird because it necessarily glosses over and abstracts uh, a lot in order to make its system work. And so the, the, the feeling I get from fate, no matter what genre I play in it is that it is a game that is designed to represent um, uh, uh, larger than life characters in a literary fiction setting of some kind like it it doesn't it never feels to me like it's a fate doesn't handle dungeon crawls well yeah um, well okay let me let me go back and and clarify that what i mean by genre here is literary genre so we're talking about fantasy modern sci-fi romance that those broad categories okay but what about game genre like do we ignore that or do we just put that off to the side in the discussion? Well, I think you are kind of touching on the a bit of the falsehood of of uh, generic systems is that they, mm -hmm. they never quite work for everything. And well, with that said, universal like universal systems, universal. Sorry, not generic, universal. Yeah. And, and yeah. like if you take fate, for example, people have made hundreds of fate games sure. and they're it's it's fate but then they they modify the skills slightly to encompass mm -hmm. 
various uh, genres. And and GURPS has kind of gone and done the same thing where they have like GURPS fantasy, GURPS sci-fi. And it's like, it's, Mm -hmm. there's a bit of a falsehood to the universality of them, but they're still well within that sort of uh, understanding of what a universal game is. It's, yeah. it's just not as universal as they would like you to believe. Right. I actually think that that leads us into sort of a, a, a point about the... I, I think you're right. I think, I think bay at bottom, unless I'm doing... Unless I'm interested in running a game that is about like dimension hopping or genre mashup of some kind... I will almost always go for the game that is specifically designed for the thing I want to do rather than a universal toolkit that I want to, that I'm going to try and adapt to the feeling I want. Um, I, I first encountered, I mean, GURPS was like my, the first system that I really like dug into like really deeply. Um, and interestingly, perhaps the game that showed me that GURPS couldn't really do everything the, what, the way I wanted it to was Call of Cthulhu because Call of Cthulhu had a different set of assumptions baked into it from GURPS. And I feel, I, I, I think that set of assumptions does more heavy lifting than is acknowledged oftentimes by but that's not a fair comparison because Cthulhu is not universal. It's, no, I, I know it's, 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 it's bound. It's bound to Lovecraftian mythos. Yeah, I agree. But it, it's more of a criticism of universal systems in general that that unless you're you're I I mean this is the point I come back to. Like unless you're doing a cross genre mashup, there's usually very little point to do a universal system to doing a universal system because there's gonna be something that's because universal systems often ask you to do more heavy lifting to get to the setting you want than a game with that setting assumed, right? I mean, well, that's exactly the niche in the market that they attempt to correct. fill. Yeah, right. And my and my point is that generally speaking, it's better. I I feel that their their main utility is in that genre mashup, where if you want to do Call of Cthulhu and oh, I mean it's a bad example, but like let's uh, Call of Cthulhu in the Old West. Do they have a source book for that? I don't think so. Maybe they do. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But let's right. say it's, it's six shooters versus, you know, uh, deep ones. Um, that's actually kind of a cool game. <laughs> but, like but, well, you're not really supposed to fight them. Yeah. Well, deep ones are like, you know, they're, they're, they're just like fish people, whatever. The yeah, fuck. to a degree, but you're still not really supposed eh, to go into combat. But I get yeah, what you're, you're not. Yeah. But but the, the point is, like, I would that's that's where I would reach for GURPS or or I would reach for um, fate, or I would reach for um, uh, champions. champions. Yeah, uh, but if I just wanted to do guys in the 1920s investigating, um, uh, 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 you know, silent film tentacle porn, then I would use Call of Cthulhu. That was a weird right. example. I'm going to walk that back. But you get my point. <laughs> you get my point. Yeah, too late. But um, no, you're right. Um, and I think that there's there's a lot of flexibility that those systems offer in terms of like defining what your setting is like. Um, that's what that's what the draw is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can do some really weird settings that don't have a book, and you can't find a good book for the with the system you like. Because yeah, 
the, you, there are some there's sometimes where a game will have the same will have a setting you like, but you don't like the system, so you're just gonna slap something. Yes, that would be this group's example. That, yep, yep, yep. I think, I think that's I, most groups' example. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's. I don't think there's that many people. There might be some people who haven't encountered Shadowrun in its fullness. <laughs> <laughs> if they knew about uh, it, they but, would include it. <laughs> but to to get back to the definitions of the tiers to yep. support them, I would say Powered by the Apocalypse as a core game engine is universal, but Apocalypse World and Dungeon World are both generic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a, that. That uh, I'm satisfied with that definition. Yeah, except that's I'm I'm less satisfied because uh, Powered by the Apocalypse doesn't really exist as its own thing. It only exists in the games that exist. So there mm-hmm. is no, there's no universal Powered by the Apocalypse system. No, it doesn't DLP exist. Want to be yeah, very even, games. That that is not what he said. Still, he just says, uh, mm, "Yeah, okay, go ahead." What I'm saying is that people take the Apocalypse games and strip the. Uh, setting and genre off them and put something else on. That's mm-hmm. that's why I meant by the core en- game engine. Yes. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say. So before I forget, the difference here between like the your bound games and your universe or whatever is basically the same as one game versus in... many. Well, or one setting versus just many. second. It, it's not just that. It's also the concept that, like, when you're working with, um, trying to think how to put it, you're working with uh, open ended games, for example, if you're talking like video games, say, like an open world setting compared to a linear storyline. You have that's, more precise. That's not part of the definition. No, it's we're not talking part of, about literary I, I know genre. That. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm getting to an analogy between it though. So okay. let me finish for a second, please. <laughs> it's like when you're working with a linear setting, or in this case that I'm using for the analogy is like a linear plot line, you have more specific tools. You know exactly what's going on, you know what's gonna happen, you can choose like specific information that's going to happen. If you're looking at like a more open-ended uh, video game, or you're looking at like a more universal setting uh, for just the role-playing game in general, then you have less specific idea of what players are going to try to do, and what they want to do, and what they need to be able to include. So everything has to be much more vague. You basically wind up with something that. It, by definition, it cannot be as precise. It cannot do a given task as well as a specialized system, but it's going yes. to be able to do multiple ones. So it's like laser exactly. rifles and, you know, right. six shooters. The, They're the, not good. The tiers basically set up how viscous the interface is between system and setting. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. In a bound game, that 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 boundary is very delineated, very sharp, and very detailed. As you move up towards and generic settings or generic games, 
that boundary becomes kind of a transition bound a transition phase. Yeah, it's a, the boundary the boundary is defined, but it is defined in the least vague terms that can be interpreted in multiple ways. And, uh, yeah, it sharpens and blurs as the game is played. And for universal games, that boundary is pretty much gaseous. Hmm. I, um, this is kind of a bit of a backstep. There's something I noted about uh, universal games. They often call themselves systems, um, if not always. I don't know about champions. The like fate yeah, is. Champions does. They mm -hmm. call themselves a system. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, and and that's sort of... because because they're essentially a formula for making for taking that rule that rule set into any genre in any setting. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and it basically holds you for fate and GURPS. Beyond that, I'm I'm not sure what exists out there as a universal. Maybe there is a just a D20 rule set, isn't there? Like on its own. Yeah, kind of, but I, I think for another universal game, or maybe there's some dispute in this, uh, Savage Worlds is one of those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Savage <laughs> yeah. Worlds. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Savage Worlds does have a universal thing, mm -hmm. and, but it has a lot of built, it also has a lot of subsettings that, that have specific rules and its own, its own thing. Yeah, I mean, Fate's like that too. I mean, I would put, I, Savage Worlds and Fate are very, I mean, they're similar in a lot of ways. They they cater towards a different audience, obviously. But like, I I feel like, you know, most games you could run, most settings you could run in Savage Worlds or Fate and be like ninety percent of the way there. I feel yeah. like Fate is slightly better for things with less combat, but that's yeah. the only line I draw. Right. Yeah. Savage Worlds doesn't do non-combat all that interestingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to interject and go back a bit to one of the things that we talked about towards the beginning with mm -hmm. the system and setting marriage, um, I was kind of mulling this through in my mind and in the notes here. Um, what I'd actually want to propose is that there's actually sort of like three axes. Uh, it's setting system and theme that once you define your, uh, system and setting, you get a okay, pretty convincing go on. theme. Because <laughs> that it wasn't clear on its own for me. Yeah. So once you once you define the setting and system, you get a theme that emerges or that you can kind of define. And the specific games with a predefined setting included with their mechanics generally have a really gripping theme that comes with them. So like if you had, um, I don't know, even just taking Rob's game as an example, um, you have a very specific setting, and the theme is very uh, prevalent in how you want to present your game. It, it encompasses everything. Um, once you take away some of that, like let's say you just have the system or theme, um, then you get sort of the generic game. Like you might have a set of rules that pertain to a larger variety of different settings, but you sort of define these two axes of what kind of experience you want to have and why someone would pick this generic system over another, but the setting is pretty fluid. Um, and then the sort of most uh, open is the universal system where you really just have the mechanics, the single axis, and then 
theme and setting is a little bit more blurred. There are some hints towards one or the other in one rule system versus another, but generally all that's really defined is that system. Um, and the other two are, are fluid. I would say that theme is kind of an umbrella over the system and setting pair. Because mm. for the most part, theme emerges from the setting and the intended style of gameplay. I'm actually, I think I think I agree with Mark on this one. Because um, I can see, I can picture a GURPS game, right? Let's say I'm going to play GURPS Horror, right? Um, and GURPS Horror includes all your standard sort of horror tropes, the Frankensteins, the vampires, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I could see taking a GURPS game, using the GURPS Horror source book and just the generic the, and the core book itself, and then running two very different feeling games out of those two things. So I'm taking the horror setting, I'm taking the GURPS generic rule book, and then I can run two, I can run a vampire hunter game where the goal is to um, hunt down and slay vampires. And I could run a uh, sort of vampire mystery game where the goal is to uncover like the uh, secret power structure behind vampire society. And I Go ahead. That's Jack. possible because that's possible. I, I still maintain that theme comes from the setting. However, it has to be implemented through the rules. That's why you have the GURPS horror book. Yeah, but uh, but those are still I'm still using the the setting and the rules, the same setting and the same rules. But I'm generating two very different experiences out of that now. See that that I mean that's why I agree with Mark's point that there's actually probably I think there might be a third axis there in that you can take setting, you can take rules, and then slide it along a continuum of theme such that you can get radically different like a Delta Green game, right? And Call of Cthulhu are are both the same setting, both the same rule set, but the theme is very different. Like one is investigating the horrors in uh well, not necessarily nine, 1920s, but that's the standard. And then Delta Green is like modern post-war standard. And the two things are identical in all other respects, except for theme. So I, th I, I tend to agree with that interpretation. I, I, I can't see a way out of that because those are two very different experiences. Where, do you still think those are, those are um, that's an umbrella term or... Is it a different utilization of the two things to get a different result? It feels like a third it, thing. It, it, it is a third thing, but it's not co-equal with, with system and setting. Okay. That's my point. Like, hmm. the, you, you say you want to run a horror game. That, yeah. that's, that, that's an aspect of the setting. Mm -hmm. That aspect necessitates having the GURPS horror book, yes. which satisfies the horror theme of the setting mm, see that's the thing see i don't see that satisfies the horror theme because one of those things is like the vampire hunting game or delta green is way less about the horror and more about like being heroic in the face of that horror and the the investigative slash um embracing of the let's say the the human proclivity to to die in the face of that horror is totally different thematically. Well, those are variations in the theme and in the gameplay thereof. Right. 
and I, I accept your point that they're emergent from the two things. I just feel like there's, there's enough of an axis there to actually be noteworthy. Or, I mean, or do you think that too? And you're just thinking it's not as, as important as well, setting plus mechanics. I'm not, or? I'm not just, I'm not dismissing theme as a component. I'm just saying it's, it's not of the same nature as theme and as system and setting. Hmm. I think, and I, I could be wrong. Mark will be the one correct. Is that without defining theme strongly, you tend to not have a bound game using the the same definition. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, that you're that you're potentially either your system and setting can define your theme and can can lead into it if or if your uh, setting and system aren't congruent then you end up losing that element of theme. Like you end up not being able to develop that axis. Hmm. If that makes sense. Well, yeah. theme can also theme can also be a desired aspect of the actual gameplay. Like I've run detective mysteries in D&D. Sure. That's not the theme sure. that D&D is suited for. Right. And so theme theme doesn't come from one place. It doesn't come from or it doesn't have to. Like it there's there's multiple entry points for theme in mm. a game. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. One is at the true. at the 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 author's intent and the next is at the player's intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so goes everything that we're talking um i think yeah like like i say when you the more focused the game the more these three things are are defined i i could actually go a bit further with that that metaphor i think there's actually three layers of intent there there's author and then game master and then player well i meant players collectively but sure you could sure split that here too okay all right all right all right players collective that's fine yeah. Hmm. Of course, the uh, what was I going to say? To some extent, uh, setting is formed by essentially. So sometimes the setting gets the authorial setting gets overrun by the players at the table, and sometimes, uh, and sometimes the authorial rules get overrun by the settings uh, by the players at the table, either by misreading or just host ruling things they don't like, but. It happens more with theme. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the players are really the final... They're the final gateway through which all of this happens. You know, you you can only do so much as as a designer to get people to that point. But if if your rules are uh, weirdly written such that they're slightly unintelligible or really unintelligible or or bad enough that people just... Or vague, sure... Um, they understand them, they just don't like them. Yeah, or they understand them and don't like, don't like them. Like, you know, you you are doing something to the audience that you actually didn't intend. I'm not sure where I was going with this point. No, I mean, you're. I think as a follow-up to what Kevlar said, mm-hmm. and I, I think he's spot on. Like if you sit down to play Blades in the Dark real gritty, and it turns out to be like a you know, just kind of a, a 
a just full sort of sitcom type of show, which can <laughs> happen, right? But it's sure. no fault of the rules. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been a number of those games where it starts out really gritty and it's not after the second session. Yeah, pretty and, much and every Warhammer game I've played in, hap <laughs> that happens. Like, well, yeah, like Warhammer is in a setting you can take seriously. I'm sorry if you're a human being. It's supposed to start out gritty and yeah. then it, like, it, it goes wacky real fast. Yeah, but and I mean, there's I, I believe there's lots of reasons that happens that might be worth talking about in another episode but mm -hmm. but he's right that the players are the last sort of like they really control that and and theme is the most flexible it's the one that can be thrown out or changed very quickly mm -hmm. so yeah. so the, the table yeah. itself is the last crucible of all these concepts all all of them for sure and yeah and i think theme holds up a little weaker than the others or mm. just it just depends on what happens Man, if you want to be really pretentious, you should start calling the fucking game the Crucible. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good. <laughs> crucible of the game. So, I don't know. I, I think we sort of bashed that apart a bit. Yep. Um, I think that was pretty good. Yeah, so now that we've done that, maybe we jump into pros and cons. And Does anyone want to take yeah. off of that? Well, I mean, I, I sort of addressed one already in that, in that I feel that the main advantage of a universal slot and, you know, now that I've had the concept generic and universal a little more um, defined, I, I, I can say this about universal games and not generic ones, but like the, the, the main advantage to me of a, of a universal game is the fact that you can do genre mashup uh, quite easily. Well, and the, the, the disadvantage of a universal game is that it asks, it puts a lot of workload onto the players, again, collectively, to do all the world building. And it puts a lot of strain and on the mechanics. And a lot of just don't, yeah, and often players find ways that a quote-unquote universal system isn't actually suited to what they want to do, and that goes back to the universal fallacy. Well, What's so, the universal fallacy? Which, the that what universal. you were talking about before. Oh, that you says it's universal. Universal games don't actually handle every possible scenario. Yeah, one thing I want to say real quick before we get into pros and cons is even in a fully bound game, more or less, well, not fully bound because that doesn't exist, but uh, certain people, like, this, if you take two groups through the same bound game with a very distinct uh, setting that's fully defined, uh, how the setting evolves through their play will often result in different settings on right. some level. Some mm -hmm. level, settings that aren't completely... Yeah, that's just something I wanted to bring up real quick. Uh um, it's those settings would be differentiated. Point. Those settings would be differentiated by how they are implemented by the system. How the uh, by how they are implemented by the system, and how the the play at the table evolves, and what the table is doing with this is doing with them. Basically, how they how the players change the setting just by mm -hmm. the actions they take 
because by definition, no matter what you're doing, you're actually slightly changing the setting by what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. That's so just something I wanted to bring up real quick before we went into the next topic. Basically, what you're saying is if two groups are playing any given role-playing game, one of them is playing D&D, actually. No, not quite. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Sorry, that's a ridiculous joke. My bad. Let's move what on. The, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Repeat it. I was just saying, yeah. You get two groups playing any given role-playing game, one of them is always playing D&D. Yeah, no? that's probably true. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> right. No, or is it a bad right. joke because it, it hits too close to home? I don't know. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, listen, man, my first Call of Cthulhu game was definitely way more like a D&D game than what you would expect from a Lovecraft story. So, <laughs> you know. That's because a universal system can simulate a generic system, but not the other way around. Uh, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure people have tried to run everything in D&D, including space opera, so... 100%. Yes. Well, yeah. they actually had a setting for that. I'm sure they did. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the base awesome. rules of D&D and reflavoring things slightly, so it's suddenly... Yeah. I mean, officially, too. I mean, like, you know, there there were a lot of a lot of D&D um, games that were very far from D&D in terms of setting and theme. You know? Uh, yeah. I, I would actually throw Dark Sun in that list. Um, it's I, love, very, uh, I love uh, Cavs, Cavors' slightly veiled disdain for D and D. Oh, is it only slightly veiled? <laughs> uh, sorry, I need to do that more. Uh, I don't. I just like D and don't, I don't think that the game that what it tries to make you do is a particularly engaging or fun or interesting. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's valid. Yes, I, but I don't think it, they're all terrible games. Or, well, I think that a lot of them have problems, but I don't think it's innately a terrible thing. It's just not something I'm interested in. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't intend it to be a thing. Well, I, I think gotcha. for purposes of this discussion, we need to put aside the entry point for change or change of theme or setting or whatever that happens at the table. Yeah, I don't. Because I just, I just don't need to bring it up because that's who I am. I represent yeah, the cloud table, everything. Like, yeah, because you take two groups and have them play second edition D and D Forgotten Realms, they're not going to be playing the same game. Yeah, you know? right. That's a good point. Yeah, and that's actually to your point about theme too. So where where theme would mm -hmm. would be the third axis along which those two setting and mechanics combinations could slide. Well, one yeah. thing I might want to point out is that it largely comes down to the intent of the author and what tools are provided in the rules. Like that's that's where we have to stick. Yeah. yeah. If you don't, like as soon as you introduce like human players into the mix, they're gonna do everything that you don't want them to do. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. And a what lot of things that you didn't think they would. <laughs> yeah, I just I am done. I just wanted to point out that that is a thing no. that exists. No, no it's, it's, it is a thing that exists, but for the remainder of the discussion, we have yes, to keep yes. in mind that it we can't is plan the around tools that. that are, it is, well, you can to a degree, but you, it's, the definition is what tools are actually provided. If you do not provide any 
tools at all for doing stealth, someone's still going to make a stealth game out of it just because that's what people do. Some people will view it as a challenge. It's like, oh, there's no stealth rules here. We're going to do a stealth game out of this. It's like, why? But they can... They'll, yeah. they'll manage. It's going to be terrible, but they'll manage. It's they like when people. Do. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And it's like when I read about people doing purely political games with D&D, it's like, wh- why? Like, you have to. Th- There's no foundation for that in D&D. All right. Well, I mean, there is, but it's like it's it's like there's better. There's games that do it way better. Like when you have to ignore the rules way less. Like, it's so strange that I mean, it, it's it's a point to the the overall um penetration of D as as a thing that people are just willing to bend because they're familiar with it um mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it's also a a it, it brings up the question of are these players do they want to role play or do they just want to play D D? right well i mean i would say in the political game they want to or play, any other specific game to, they want to role play, you know, in the political game, I think they want to role play, but like the, the reason they're using D and D is because everybody's familiar with it and they don't want to learn a new system. I mean, I see that as a complaint a lot, yep. you know, my players don't want to learn a new system. Mm-hmm. They just want to stick with D and D and that's a valid, like learning a rule system to the point of mastery that like D and D has a high bar for that, you know, and people often make the assumption that all games are like that. And so I, I think yes. that's part of the reticence to, to try out other games because there's bad assumptions uh, being made about the difficulty of thoroughly learning it. Um, yep. If only D&D didn't have... Um, if it only lists it wasn't of so thousands sh- of things. Lists of thousands of things. And also if it wasn't just so... Um, uh, what? bad coddling i would say it's the uh, coddling is not the term i would use exactly it's more like it does such a weird thing in because it 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 it's got this um the like you said the long list of things that require a good degree of system mastery to to utilize properly uh, but but D and D's got these long lists of things that 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 um, once you get to let's say level ten, level twelve, like it assumes a certain level of system mastery on the part of the players. Um, and but getting there is actually kind of a steep curve unless you're playing one of the classes that just rolls a d twenty and hits things, you know, like there and hits things slightly differently. Uh, there's, it does both. I think it coddles and it, uh, over, I don't know what the good word for this, oversaturates with material, maybe. What do you guys think about that? Am I, am I right? Is it doing two things yeah, weirdly D&D, simultaneously? D&D, yeah. D and D has, has a strange way of swaddling you in rules that actually suffocate you. Like you feel comfortable in your death of it. <laughs> and then it's it's just naturally capable of just dazzling players with bullshit. 
That's a good, that's a good, uh, good analogy. Yeah. Well, one of the things it has is because of all the lists, there's not really much you have to think about to add at first glance. It's like, oh, well, there's a list for that. They already have it written out. It's, it doesn't, but when you actually go to the list, it's like, hmm, this is only for really specific situations. Usually there's nothing here that actually does what I want to do. And then, yeah, D D is very binary about what it is and what what it will accept and what it is about. Something about dog sleds. So, <laughs> what dog sleds? It's a, it's a reference to a Pathfinder thing I was part of. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Um, I'm 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 on board for dog sleds in general. Just <laughs> yeah, no. For some reason, my DM wouldn't let my DM wouldn't let me get my. Spend all my money on a dog sled. I... Oh, right, that. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> all That's right, let's bizarre. mush our way back to the topic. Yes, let's ah. definitely get back to the topic. Pros and cons of universal generic. Okay, and... so here, here. Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Here's one of the big pros of the bound system, um, and that is you can more readily support the kind of experience you want to have if you're designing rules for it. I don't think there's going to be any dispute about that. Um, but what that allows also you to expediency. do... No, go I, ahead. I'll, I would I'll say that's the that same thing. You give I would me. say that's the same thing. Pretty similar. Because you have to... No, you're right. But it, it's that that's to the point of the not making the players, GM included, uh, do work to uh, bootstrap the setting. Right. So that's part of the mm -hmm. expediency thing. Right. So if you're if you're playing a Star Wars game, the reason you're playing a Star Wars game is so you don't have to take fate or GURPS and invent force powers in those uh, systems and make them work. Um, yeah. So bound so, games are zero bootstrap. Yes. Yeah. And the advantage, but the main advantage to that is not just the zero bootstrapping, although that is an advantage. The main advantage is being able to design. Um, systems that so tightly mesh with the the setting that um it would be and the theme and the if, gameplay yeah and the theme and the gameplay it would be hard to play that setting without those rules you know it's be it would be very hard although you can do it and it has been done to, to i'm going to go back to the call of cthulhu thing but the call of cthulhu like without sanity points wouldn't feel quite the same even though i disagree fundamentally with their implementation it's a totally separate subject but it would mm -hmm. it would be strange to run a call of cthulhu game without the sanity points because the sanity points as a measure of your character's encounter with mythos entities is so core to the idea of it that it wouldn't feel right like running a call of cthulhu game in gurps which i believe there are rules for i wouldn't be surprised if there was an official there's a yeah anyway um running it in gurps you're you're still using the the gurps's um horror checks which i believe i don't know if this is the case in fourth edition but in third it was an iq roll and so smart people basically never went crazy in gurps and that was a quirk of the system but you couldn't do that in mm -hmm. a call through the game and have it make any kind of sense like it just it, it it's an instance of the rules producing um a fiction that is hard to convincingly narrate, you know, 
uh, and in bound system, that's going to happen way less because the mechanics are so tailored to the experience of the intent of the game, the intended exactly. experience of the game. Yeah. Yes, it's it's so intrinsically linked with what the experience needs to be for that game uh, in those bound systems that it, you you couldn't play it without it and have anything similar. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much what I was saying when Rob was away earlier was that the the more tight it is the more you know what's there. So the more you know what's there, the more you can build stuff that's relevant to it. Yeah. I'm going to say this, that as you move from bound to universal, the the boundary between system and setting changes from having to address actuality to having to address potentiality. Hmm. Can you describe so that with a bound bit? system? You, in a bound system, you know exactly how a system and setting are going to interact. That, like the the sharp boundary, is the actuality of the interface. But as you get generic, that like I was saying, when the interface gets blurry, it becomes less concrete and more speculative. And even more so with universal games. Like universal games are an exercise in designing for potential. Right. Mm, Okay, I see your point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because you have to take in, when you're doing a universal game, if you're ambitious enough to do it, you have to, I, I know, you have to uh, <laughs> take into account basically anything a player could want to do. You know, not just want yes. to do within the context of uh, a particular setting, but could want to do in the context of reality itself as you outline it in the game. Um, I mean, that's why... More, 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 more to our point, the mm-hmm. potentiality of what the setting could be. Yes. Which then defines what players could do. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I agree. You should do less of that. <laughs> less agreeing? Yes. Okay. Ah. Uh... Well, then what are, what are the downsides of a specific system? Because then it sounds like you get a lot from a bound system in terms of how much you can get the... Mm-hmm. interactions down and how how f- fulfilling it can be to be in that play experience um but what are the what do you guys think the, are some of the downsides good the downside system. is that the system is not as transferable to other settings is i think that... they're just they're harder to make good bound systems are harder to, to do also, a lot of really? people who were in this industry. No, uh, I, I would disagree with that yeah. wholeheartedly. Yeah, me yeah. too. But go ahead, Car. Yeah, okay, Big A big thing is a lot of people want to tell their own stories and do their own settings. So, bound systems kind of don't hold up as well in, for things like that, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. To- hmm. Just to iterate a little more on why I mm-hmm. think they're they're harder is is it there's there's just way more work involved. Um, 
it's it's create it's being creative mm -hmm. in in a way that uh, relates less to game design. It's all connected, but you have to create more than the the game uh, in a in a way, and then you have to connect that to the game. And you, you have to hmm. go ahead. Sorry, you have to do it in a way that actually works, so you can have a good uh, setting and maybe even a, a good game that doesn't work together. Mm -hmm. And and those are all the considerations that you have to take when when you're putting that system together. Are you uh, comparing how easy it is from creating a, a universal system or from a generic system? Uh, I guess generic. I don't actually think universal systems are easy either because I guess because of the fallacy of the universal system. Yeah. But okay, yeah, okay. That's that. I mean, that that was going to be my objection because I think, I think doing a universal game is actually spectacularly difficult. Yeah. Um, whereas a bound yeah. system, for me, the reason, um, Ash of the Magi is it, it it is a bound system. Um, that, mm -hmm. but it's it. I'm trying to do something extremely specific, and if I were to extrapolate out the generic, genericable, is that a word? Is that a new word? <laughs> Not a word, but people know what you mean, so it's good. Yeah, so the, the bits of it that could be generic, right, that I could strip away mm -hmm. the setting material from. Um, if I did that, the game would change mechanically, like yep. pretty fundamentally. Um, mm -hmm. And so part of the reason I designed it the way I did in because I I, at, I think at the beginning maybe fairly early on, like I was just designing sort of a generic squad based combat RPG, you know, because I, I didn't think I, I couldn't find a, a squad based RPG that did what I wanted um, easily or, and with a manageable amount of mechanics. There was, there, there, there've been a couple of squad ish RPGs, but like there they're very heavy on bookkeeping. They tend to be, um, or they're very heavy on hand waving the interesting parts of um, interpersonal dynamics, uh, and and basically they they just include none of that. So like I I would actually consider um, the default intended play mode of Dungeons and Dragons first edition to be a squad based game because. The intended mode is that you actually have hirelings and that they they follow you and and do follow your orders and stuff like that. And they have morale and whatnot. But the in many ways they are pawns to your queen, you know. So that that they are they are they are game pieces first and characters second. Um, and so when I was going figuring out what I wanted the goals of this this game to be. One of them, one of them was like, they have to be able to not listen to you in some way, you know. They ha and, and it can't be just it can't be just a morale check. It has to be. They have to have some. There's got to be something in them that is a bit beyond the players, um, or at least beyond the character. I'm actually okay with with the extant characters still falling within the realm of player agency but i want there to be a discrepancy between um character agency and player agency in that specific instance 
Uh, and so very, I, there's no other game I know of that, that, that has something like that where, um, the, the, the player still has some agency over another character, but the character that represents that player in the world doesn't so much, or maybe I'm just ill-informed and there are tons of games like that, but I haven't seen one. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, bound mechanics, right? So <laughs> I, think, I think we're talking about more about what you thought about the difficulty of designing bound mechanics. Right. The difficulty of designing bound mechanics. And so the uh the point of of putting together all of the rules that eventually became Ash of the Magi were were ways of me circumventing or um dealing with problems that I think exist in rpgs in general through the mechanism the mechanisms in ashes of the magi so weird is like the things you can do with weird are talk to the other players see the game board um and fiddle with the probability of the dice and those are all things that the player is doing but they're all things that the character is doing as well and has some sense of Mm -hmm. Uh, and the only way i could square that is in in a setting where that level of private communication is possible between the players. So you could, I have an idea for a sequel to Ashes that is basically a, a game of um, where you play uh, colonial, uh, planetary colonial space marines that are sent into hotspots and they have uh, very expensive. Uh, technology that allows them to do this and it's, it's it's essentially the same game in the future without all the mysticism um but i i have to in order for the the rule set to be portable to another setting it has to the setting has to account for those conceits within the rules so i mean are you basically saying that this was easier for you to build because the setting itself allowed you to it's it's bend, bend yeah. or break the rules. It's um, more like but, the setting, the setting part of the setting, part of the fiction of the world was designed such that the mechanics I wanted to implement could be reasonable. Hmm. And so divorcing the setting and the mechanics would break both of them. I mean, I think <laughs> as you're trying to prove your point, it sounds like you're proving mine. It says that you made two things that couldn't exist without each other, which sounds hard to me. <laughs> well, uh, it was easier than trying. It was, it was easier than trying to make a generic rule set and then mimicking the fiction of the war mages within a generic rule set. That's, that's the difficulty. Like also remember that a lot of Ash's mechanics are, serve the purpose of implementing the theme that comes from the setting yes so if you take if you separate them then you break the theme yeah and to put that to 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 use that the system with another setting the setting has to restore that theme and i'm i think that's to some degree yeah, not really the point I was going for. I was just mm-hmm. more saying that building that complete structure of setting theme system that work together well mm-hmm. 
I guess it. And and maybe it's just me as a designer, which we're all different, but uh, mm. that structure is harder or harder is the wrong word, but more intense. Um, well, it's, but, I, yeah, that I guess that's maybe more to the point. And I'm seeing now that seems to be more just my perspective than a hard rule. <laughs> well, no, I think I think you're onto something. I think, you know, part of the reason the game is the way it is is because um extrapolating out the pieces of of interesting squad based combat just really proved to be too difficult to make generic or universal yeah you know it was it was like for it to do everything i wanted to do and then also justify it across many different settings i i couldn't i couldn't see a way to square that um that's that's why for me the bound version of ashes which is the only version of ashes is as far as it was the only one i could make at the skill level of designer i am because i i i can't see a way through to making it a generic, generic system yeah it, it 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 it's just it's just it leans too heavily on its setting um and and its theme you know, to card point, like the theme, the theme of, of, of loss and then redemption um, is, is runs strongly through the entire game. And so um, to, to, to attempt to extract out the stuff that would leave that behind is like just too tall an order for me at this point. So mm-hmm. that that's, but that's, that's why I, re, I reacted to your statement the way I did. I'm like, I, you know, it wasn't me, that way for you. It wasn't that way for me. And the other games I've designed uh, are um, are are strongly bound to their setting. I mean, like the other the other one I sort of have on back burner right now is is a is a is a dimension hopping game. But like that's you use the same rule set across all things, and the rule set expresses the same idea of um, you know. Uh, uh dragon ball z characters quantum leaping into different bodies uh that's 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 the nature of the game and like to to take the 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 concepts in that and make them universal just would not make any kind of sense it would be so so odd that it wouldn't it it wouldn't be coherent at all so to to me like bound settings are way easier to do because i i i can there's already a, a a delineation of edge and i know what i i've got a set of good ideas that i want to include and then if another idea occurs to me i can take i can look at the setting and see if that idea would warrant being included or if i can just leave it by the wayside and not have to do the work of having to integrate it so mind if i took a stab at this go for it yeah. okay and rob's going on longer than that there are yeah there are Okay, the issue that I'm seeing that Rob's kind of tiptoeing around, but he hasn't quite landed on, is that, yes, there's two things that you have to build if you're doing a bound setting. You have to do, like, the actual setting itself and the rules for that setting. But the thing is, they inform one another. They basic once you have, like, a specific setting in mind, 
it limits the options and it basically focuses you on a single thing. Yes. So it makes it more clear what you are to work with. If you're working on something's far more universal, it's very uh, globally reaching set of concepts. It's like, you don't have, oh, I have to make this ability to do this one thing because it happens in the setting. It's, I have to do the everything that can happen in every setting. I do not have the luxury in a way of only writing what happens to be relevant for this one situation. I have to write it for every single possible situation, which is actually a lot more difficult to do and make it coherent. Okay, I got to take my stab too. <laughs> um, the the difficulty in doing a bound system is in the tedium of, and I don't mean that maliciously, the tedium of drawing that very sharp line that ties the two main components together. So like, it's it's all details at that point. But as you get more broad, the difficulty shifts into the theory of what that boundary could be. So uh, generic and universal systems each require more forethought into how, into what the integration is and the nature of it. Whereas a bound system, it's just there. It's just what is there. There's no what if about it. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Although I what what I was what I was going to um what I was going to say is I can I actually I was thinking about this as Kat was talking and I actually see Jonathan's point now. Um, and the the reason I see that is because I was thinking about um, uh, is it cut to the chase called now or is it still. Cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chase. So, the, so your game, Cut to the Chase, is a universal game. It is a universal game that only covers one situation, though. Mm-hmm. I, I I was mm-hmm. thinking about mine as we're going through, and and I was thinking the only thing it's bound to is the theme, uh, it, you know, and and instead of being it's, bound to a setting, it's it's almost not even bound to the theme. It's actually just bound to one action, and that's the chase. Right, it's bound so, to a situation. Yeah, yeah, it's bound to a situation. Not, I, I mean, I would still distill it down to the action of one thing chasing another. Like, the situation right. could actually shift inside that chase as as you delineate in in the in the rule set. Um, but there, there's a different. I, I I understand now why you would have, why from your perspective, it was easier to do cut to the chase as a universal game for a one-on-one chase rather than a bound version of it because the the bound version of it would be very limited and and you would have had to you would have had to really really stretch and push and possibly bend or break different scenarios to make them fit into um a specific kind of chase like you could have done just a game about starship chases for example or Mm -hmm. horse chases right um and and that would have been probably harder to design than 
than cut to the chase is at at its current state and so that the idea that i'm trying to get at is the the universality of a rule set can actually be um pruned into like like Har was saying specific situations and that does make them easier to design because you're having to account for as Kat was saying all the what ifs but the what ifs are still bounded within the the certain action that you're you're going to describe but now you can once they're bound you can really push to the edges of those boundaries and try and include everything uh, that could happen within within that chase. Um, so, I I yeah, see I see your perspective, head. Jonathan. I don't want I what basically what I wanted to say was like I I was coming down really hard on the idea that you were completely off base on that, but I actually <laughs> see your perspective. So that that that's that, that's interesting. I'm 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 gonna think about that some more because sure. And I I guess I, I would just to to reiterate my statement and then maybe move on unless. Mm -hmm has a lot more to say is that it was doing it well um as an apartment yes, sure. and and just to throw in you know something recently that that you pointed out that you don't like at all is the witcher which is i believe bound right like it's that's yep. a setting that it's bound to right so it's generic more or less you think it's generic? I, I think it is because it's based on the ral partha rule set mm -hmm. which is um fundamentally the I, the cyberpunk 2020 Set, right. So anyway, I guess my yeah. point was just like how shitty you thought that was. It was. It's just. It's just they had an opportunity to do something really interesting and just yeah. flubbed it, in my view, for they, the sake of getting an IP out there. They, they took a bound setting and then rebound it to another setting, and it didn't work right. <laughs> there you go. But yeah. Concerning cut to the chase, I think Jonathan's approach in doing that game with regard to the topic at large that we're on was completely perpendicular to how most people approach it. Yeah. Like he he, well, he, took, he, he took a, mm -hmm. right. So he took a scenario and made it completely setting agnostic. Whereas most of us take a setting and make it scenario agnostic. <laughs> and if right so mm -hmm. yeah if no, cut to the I, chase had yeah. a, if cut to the chase had a setting embedded in it it would be much more of a board game and and to mm -hmm. build on that like it would almost have to be yeah yeah to to build on this i think maybe this is what i was trying to get at with the the axis of theme because i would say that the set of scenarios in your game establish a theme and that if uh, you take that, like your your set of um, scenarios. I think well, that is sort preferred of preferred scenarios, right? That that is sort of that third axis that I was trying to get at with um, how you can define your game. Like if you, even what I'm intending to do with Praxis Arcanum is that I really want to have a defined set of scenarios. I want to have there to be like a, a space that fits within a theme. I don't care about setting. I care about the system and making sure that you get to hit those themes through the game. Hmm. Um, and I think that's exactly what Jonathan did as well, is that you're, you wanted to have the chase be front and center. You had the mechanics to support getting to those things, 
but the setting, whether it was in dystopian, like, I don't know, 1940s France. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, That that was totally irrelevant to your design process. And I think that's why there is a strong component to think of in terms of how do you integrate theme or that subset of scenarios into the design of your game. That's a good point. We should, we should, we should maybe pluck a little more on that after a break. Okay. So we're going to take a break. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I get a drink and uh, consider this uh, break. And lo, listeners, they did take a break. We'll see you next week for the second part. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.